Hey everybody, and welcome back to Eyes in the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. Hey. It is April, not April. It's now May. It's gonna be May, May second, uh, episode eighty-two. Uh, deck tech to select decks. That is an Ian exclusive title that you can only find here. You're welcome. Tongue twisters. <laughs> say that five times fast. Yeah. Don't actually say that five times fast. I mean, you can, but you know, we don't need to. No. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about selecting decks for tournaments because Ian and I both have tournaments upcoming where we are going to be having some fun selecting decks for them. Uh, and speaking of tournaments, there are two major tournaments uh, that are coming up this weekend, uh, one of which is GP Dallas, uh, which is uh, Dominaria Sealed. Uh, stream starts at the usual times it does for uh, limited events. Uh, Saturday it starts at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, or 3 p.m. UTC, and then Sunday at 7 a.m. Pacific, uh, 11 or 10 a.m. Eastern, and 2 p.m. UTC. And again, this uh, is the, this is the first individual limited Grand yes. Prix because we had the team limited last week. Exactly. Uh, the commentary team is really fun. It looks like we've got Marshall and Maria on play by play, two really good play by play commentators, uh, with the color commentary team of Kenji Egashira, aka Numatanami. And Pablo Vitor Damodorosa. Pablo Doritos. Pablo be... Doritos. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm excited. This That's... is going to be fun. Yeah. I won't be watching that, though, because I'll be playing Pauper at Rags to Riches 19 at Card Kingdom in, well, Mox Boarding House slash Old Card Kingdom in uh, Ballard, Seattle. Which is also being streamed at twitch.tv slash Card Kingdom so at you can... 12 p.m. Pacific. So you can watch Pauper if you want to watch Pauper this weekend. There's going to be a tournament. And they always do a good job with the coverage for Rags to Riches. So, I mean, it's basically the same layout they do for their weekly Legacy and Modern streams. Like, Legacy's like on Monday and Modern's on Wednesday mm. or t- Thursday. I don't remember. Either way, they do they do other streams too. So, if you want to get some, like, weekly Legacy matches in Monday night, check them out. Uh, also, quick aside on the GP Dallas uh, stream, uh, before we get into the main topic, I was talking with Ian before we started recording – so I think what the teams are going to be are Maria is going to be paired with pa- or Maria. Maria is going to be paired with Kenji, and Marshall is going to be paired with Paolo. What what the teams that I want to be are Maria with Paolo and Marshall with Kenji. So why is that? Uh, mainly because I know that Marshall and Kenji have some sort. They already have chemistry together for being. They live in Seattle. The same. They live. They both live in Seattle, uh, and they've done commentary together before. I don't know how often Paolo's done commentary with Marshall. I'm sure it's a non-zero amount of the time. Uh, but I would want to put uh, Paulo with Maria uh, because Paulo is, you know, I think it's safe to say that he's the b- most skilled magic player of the people who are doing the coverage booth. And I want to see how he plays off of Maria and vice versa, um, just so that I can, because I think that's going to be a more fun team to watch as opposed to Marshall and Kenji, but I don't know. Eh, you know what? It's fine. It, it, either way, it's a great coverage team. I, I'm excited for it. Exactly. It's I'm like choosing between in. whether you want your steak well done or you want your steak medium well. Granted, those should be both. You're a horrible thing. person. Why would you want your steak well done? Listen, I had a weird childhood. Anyways. You're, it's it's medium or medium rare, <laughs> depending on the cut, John. Okay, Moving on. I, think, I think we found our decisive topic here. But anyway. <laughs> Listen, I get my steaks pap- medium rare now. Hits it's the fine. papers on the desk. Moving on. <laughs> So let's talk about deck selection because uh, when you have a major event coming up like yourself with Rex to Riches and myself with the uh, team RPTQ in June, you're going to have to pick a deck for it. And there's a lot of factors that got to go into it. And it's, you know, probably one of the most subtle things about going to a big tournament 
is what deck you bring to play. Yeah, and it's it, obviously the thing is gonna, the biggest thing is gonna be like, what format is it? Because you can't go bring your Grixis Delver deck to a standard tournament. Because get out of here with that. But mostly, um, leading up to it, you're definitely gonna want to keep an eye out on the metagame, you know, because that might help you inform it depending on the type of player that you are. Exactly. Uh, obviously, this is only going to work for constructed formats. And as much as I loved during, you know, Kaladesh Limit to be like, hey, all I want is to open Soul Ring and go turn one Soul Ring into turn two Sword of Feast and Famine into turn three Haste, like Creature Equip and Bash. That's all I want to do with my life. But there's not that much of deck selection you can do for a limited event. It's because it's pretty much all laid out before you. You can have strategies going into it, but you can't be like, I'm going to play green-black sapperlings, and then you open no sapperlings, and you're sad. Yeah, you know, like, I, when I mentioned I did a little, like, friendly pre, like friendly opening of a box with a bunch of friends of mine the day before I did my actual pre-release, I had a uh, had a slime foot in there. Slime foot did a great job in me there. When Lindsay and I dare to hit a giant, not a single slime foot in either one of our 12 packs. Womp womp. So it's one of those, like, but she still went black green uh, with the Sapperling theme, but we didn't have like one of the best components of that archetype because she still had other things that made it work. But you can't really be like, I'm going to sleeve up this deck. It's like, yeah, well, what if you don't get, what if you want to sleeve, you know, red, blue spells, you don't get Natalie's. You're exactly. going to be kind of like, I mean, you have a good deck. We don't have like a great deck. But exactly. Constructed is definitely another thing too, because you, you're, remember, you're only limited to four of named cards besides basic lands. So and rat colonies, oh yeah, there's that. Yeah, the corner cases, John. <laughs> come on, and or shadowborn apostle if you want to get if you want to really start splitting some hairs. Of course. Anyway, so those are cards, by the way, that have a clause that says you may have any number of this particular card in your deck. Mm-hmm. So that said, it really does. And for your in your case, John, you're actually really kind of limited to um for you guys in your upcoming tournament with the team one because you're limited to okay, we have some good decks, but they share cards between them and we can't do that. Yeah, like the biggest issue I think is actually going to probably be more on sideboard cards, especially if we end up splitting a color. Because if you have two blue decks, you know, both of them are going to want negate. Both of them are going to want spell pierce. Or maybe not both of them, but like negates and like maybe even search for Scanta. Like you can't just sit down and play and say, okay, you know, hey, I have this deck that's playing two negates in the board and this deck that's playing two, neg- two negates in the board as well. Uh, as it turns out, they changed the rules a few years ago where, you know, your basic lands have to be, can be divided however you choose, but your named cards can't be split up. They yeah. have to go in one deck only. We do have Unwind now, which is a little different. If maybe whatever the control yeah. deck would probably want to play something like that because you can, you know, cast multiple counters on one turn. Either exactly. Way. But yeah, it's weird. But there's different schools. So depending, like the format is huge because it can also help you inform how you're going to select your deck. Now, Certain formats are known for you pick a deck, you jam it a bunch, and that's your deck. You're known for playing that deck. Um, that might be something that informs your decision. Do you just go in and be like, all right, this deck's been performing well in the last couple big tournaments that have been going on. I'm just going to play what's considered the best deck. Like when Ramen Opera was a thing, you had to figure out how to beat Ramen Opera. So do you play Ramen Opera because it's the best deck in the room? Or do you say, okay, I know most players are going to be playing that. I'm going to play a deck that can beat that one and also have game against whatever else is expected. Alternatively, you can then go to the second level thinking where, okay, if Monterey's the best deck 
and then this is the deck that's best against Mono Red, then I'm going to play the deck that's best against the deck that beats Mono Red, which then gets into the whole Rock, Paper, Scissors thing. And we discussed this previously in a episode about metagaming, um, but deck selection is a little bit different than metagames, yeah, and just slightly. For, and for stuff like that, for metagaming and selecting your decks and stuff, there are some pro articles we're going to have in the show notes. I highly, highly recommend reading them. One's by Tom Ross on how he viewed his thing. It's from last uh last summer in august and then another one's brad nelson's actual retort to that one from uh september basically going over so tom is like i'm just going to basically jam something that you know when it moder like quoting it from the article was to win it moderate you want to do the most degenerate thing people aren't prepared for so he kind of like doing these different weird level thinking and brad was kind of like well he chooses the wrong decks for the wrong reasons because of that particular line of thinking so therefore basically he's like in any given large event, Tom Ross can do well when it's a bunch of players where he puts the honest on the other player to make the tough decisions because he's like, okay, I know this deck. I know this line. Bam, 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 bam. Let's see how my opponent reacts. Whereas in a room with more pros, that kind of line of thinking gets weaker. Yeah. And that's something that we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, both of those articles are great. You should totally make sure you read up on those. And the big thing with deck selection is kind of into that same vein for where Tom and, and Brad are thinking is that there's, there's a lot of factors that go into what it is that you should, you should be bringing to any given event, whether it's FNM, whether it's a PPTQ, whether you're going to a GP, whether you qualify for the Pro Tour, whatever it is. The first thing that you should kind of look at is the metagame, like the local metagame for exactly the th- same thing, reason we talked about it before, that kind of rock, paper, scissors thing that's going on. You know, is your FNM full of control decks? Then bring an aggro deck. Is everybody at your is, at this PPTQ look like they're bringing fanatical firebrands? Then bring in you know rekindling phoenix and uh, the uh, regal caracal and lyras. You know, yeah, stuff with make life, sure you have the answer gain. for what they've got. Yeah, stuff with life gains. So when you get to like that mid, like if you're able to survive at least a little bit the initial wave of assault, your middle game is going to be you know a little bit better. You know, that's the obvious. Rock, paper, scissors between aggro, mid-range control. But, mm-hmm. and then, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take this last point. No, yeah, go for it. <laughs> because of reasons. Uh, so with local metagames, you know, you go to your shop, you might be, you might have bought into your $1,000 modern deck or whatever like that. So you're going to play your $1,000 modern deck. You can't, you're not going to really swap back and forth for your, you know, Thursday night modern or whatever to just get a couple packs or whatever. So you become typecast as a certain deck. And John, mm-hmm. John, you put down the thing about Vinny. Like, oh, yes. Vinny, if there's a tokens deck, the guy's going to play it, right? <laughs> Vinny is very well known for he, Vinny has has a very wide uh, deck range, I would say. However, of late, he's been playing a lot of tokens decks, and in fact, he was playing an Obzon tokens deck uh, right around when uh, Our Devastation came out, but before Ixalan did. And there was a local player who saw him playing it and was like, "Hey, I think that deck's really good, but I think we can remove green from it." So he and his friends played black-white tokens at the next PPTQ, and they ended up winning it with this black-white token stack. And so, you know, it's all about kind of, you know, looking at how players are, are doing there. Uh, I was actually on stream at that PPTQ that I mentioned, and I was playing Mono Red, and one of the commentators was like, you know, look, John Wells, you know, he's someone who doesn't shy away from aggro decks. He knows when and he knows when and where to close the door and make sure that people don't have a chance of getting out of the hole. And I do enjoy myself a good aggro deck, and I do enjoy finding ways to end the game in as efficient way as possible. I mean, I just got, I mean, I know we're, we're, we're I'm straight going to strain a limited for this one, just a hair, but you. Yeah. Cube. 
Yeah. You're, you're typecast like a, like a mofo into the white weenie decks just because. Well, I mean, yeah, I do. Well, no, but I'm saying like that's something where like it, it's it's a little bit different with limited in drafting, but you know for a fact that you can nine times out of ten, you're going to be able to get yourself a white weenie deck, but you know how to play those white weenie decks because you've played them so many times. So you know the ins and outs of that kind of deck. So yeah, it's typecast, but it's because you typecast yourself into a, a place where you know how to play it. It's just like watching uh, LSV draft cube and he always starts with blue cards. It it just happens. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's a divination, right? It's true. And to that point, it goes it kind of goes into our next uh, big kind of determining factor for when you're d- deciding a deck is comfort level. And that kind of runs into that typecast idea, you know? Are you more comfortable playing the aggressive deck or the control deck? Or do you like doing off-the-wall things like combo decks or whatever? Whatever you're most comfortable with should play a role, at least a small one, excuse me, at least a small one into whatever deck you're choosing. Yeah. Uh, depending on the format, again, the, the, that's, I only keep bringing it up, but it's really one of the biggest underlying, uh, things here. Legacy, you're going to want to pick a deck and you're going to want to learn some of the lines or at least have a certain type of, I guess, strategy. Like you could say, oh, I'm a Delver player, but inside Delver, you've got more of a burn Delver with blue red. You've got more of a mid rangey to, you know controly one with Sultai, and then you've got just like the straight up like i can do everything toolbox grixis kind of thing where within in within a certain strategy you might be like oh well bug looks like it's gonna be better this weekend you might have completely different lines of play especially when it comes to blue red versus the other two where the three color four color delver decks where blue red is just looking to burn you out as quickly as possible the other one's like yeah you can you can have a little staying power but with the comfort level is I mean, it gets a little lesser with standard. You can kind of pop back and forth deck week to week, depending on uh, what you think is going to be best for the meta. But right now, the meta is wide open in our current standard. Oh, yeah. I've looked at a bunch of deck lists because, again, going to the, the Team Unified uh, standard, Team Unified standard PPT, RPTQ, and yeah, standard looks really diverse. Granted, the SSG Classic, uh, it was won by a green-black constrictor, but then the next five decks were all flavors of blue-white. Uh, which is a little concerning, but we'll see how the weekend kind of how the rest of the format shakes out up to the pro tour. Um, but like there's mono green aggressive decks. There's mono white aggressive decks. There's red mid range decks. It's a pretty decent format. I would say right now in standard. Yeah. We've got, we have tribal, but not in the tribal you think it's going to be. Yep. It's not Merfolk. It's goblins. They're here. There's yeah. also like mono green beatdown, which is amazing. Like yep. it looks hilarious. Um, just playing that kind of stuff. You've got your aggro decks. There's still some like gifts decks still lingering around the format. Vehicle deck is kind of like trimmed red completely and just gone white black. I mean, some of the old standbys are still there, but there's also there's, there's even mono red God Pharaoh's gift. Yeah, I mean that's like I guess a further spin on the blue with red with one. rowdy crew. Oh, so that's why it was spiking <laughs> lately. I was wondering yeah. why like, people were talking about like rowdy crew getting bought out. I'm like, why? Yeah, okay. by the way, rowdy crew is two red red for a three three trample mythic from Ixalan. It's a human pirate, I believe. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you draw three cards, then discard two at random. And if the two cards you discarded share a type, you put two plus plus encounters on rowdy crew. And Rowdy Crew fills the same void that Champion of Wits does in the Blue Red Godfrey's Gift decks, where it digs you through your deck and then puts cards in your discard in your graveyard so that you can find stuff later. That's fair. But yeah, it's so, cool. Yeah, I mean that's kind of weird and interesting, but also I like it in a weird. It's way. real fun. Yeah, but so with comfort level and stuff like that, you, you're going to want to definitely play something that 
if you don't know the actual deck itself, what's your strategy you're more comfortable with? Like you might not, you might want to stray a little bit like that kind of thing. Are you better with mid range? Are you better with beat down? Like John is with that kind of thing. Combo decks. I mean, you, you're also go combo cause you storm. But for me, it's true. I've kind of found myself lately enjoying toolbox mid range kind of decks where I can strike fast if I want to, but I want to have a mid range game. And then along the same lines as comfort level, you know, you can't just pick up a deck and play it the next day at, a, at an event and expect to do well. You need to put practice in with it. And there's a lot of ways you can get practice with your decks. Uh, goldfishing is one of them. If you're kind of a, if your deck doesn't rely too much on interaction, like an aggro deck or a combo deck, uh, or really deck. hard to go or modern, yeah, modern <laughs> deck. It's really hard to goldfish control decks just in general, uh, but it is kind of possible. And the big thing with practice is the best resource is Magic Online. For all its warts and flaws, Magic Online is still the best way to practice for any major event that's coming up on the horizon for you. Yeah, and there's still some free, there's still some kind of freer programs out there if you have friends who can use them or and such. There's even some kind of weird ways where you could basically gin up Skype and have a deck proxied and have your camera pointing at your desk and Skype with a friend and run through a gauntlet if they're not local or you can have a gauntlet of proxied up decks and basically be like all right here's a snapshot of the top like eight decks in the metagame let's run this brew through the the gauntlet and see how it performs kind of thing exactly magic online if you have the means and the resources to acquire multiple decks mostly through drafting is usually how a lot of people will do it or they'll just straight throw money at the screen and buy them outright but it's definitely an interesting way to you know there's there's multiple avenues for you to practice uh decking or playing with the deck. Now John mentioned gold fishing. Now what gold fishing is is you're assuming that you're sitting down to play your deck, you'll draw your seven cards, whatever like that, and you're literally playing against an opponent who is a goldfish in a bowl. They are literally just basically playing a land, go, land, go, land, go. Where basically they don't do any kind of interaction. You can kind of like fake oh i guess they blocked here yeah we'll trade off no big deal kind of thing like that with a creature or oh i guess they quote unquote countered this spell or whatever like that if you want to just do like okay have something like that i mean you can have a, a friend who around for goldfish who, who can just at random times call out like okay next spell gets countered like or yeah. like i played the, i cast this spell you look at your buddy it's like uh countered or it resolves kill spell kind of thing like that if you want to like step it up a little bit with goldfish you don't have to say exactly what the kill spell is or anything like that it's like hey how does your deck handle in this particular line of play with this particular situation what happens so exactly it's also really hard to sideboard when you're goldfishing because you don't know what you're sideboarding against yeah and arguably sideboarding is the most important part which is why playing actual matches is almost more important than just playing a bunch of game ones because you are going to play at least as many uh sideboarded games as unsideboarded games if not more so making sure you know what your sideboard plan is with your deck is going to be huge hugely important oh no you're guaranteed to think about it you're only playing one game unsideboarded and you're at least playing game two sideboarded and you could potentially play game three sideboarded which and is why also, at least as many is still true yeah and it also really helps to know is your deck better on the play is your deck better on the draw what kind of situations do you want to be you know mulling like what kind of hands gold fishing is really great to just like draw a random seven and be like, is this a keep? Can I keep this? Or you can be like, okay, I'm old to six. Exactly. Six against an unknown opponent. So those kind of things are really interesting and really helpful. I know recently I've been practicing. So 
I've been practicing a lot for the pauper thing, playing a little bit online, but doing a lot of gold fishing. Why? Because I want to see how lines of play are because the deck I'm practicing right now, like I, I would do it with Tron and is a blitz deck that I've been working up a little bit. The one that won the last one with just a few minor tweaks right now. But basically for Tron, when I would goldfish it, I would play it out as, okay, how am I sequencing my land drops? That was for me, honestly, I was really prioritizing how do I sequence my land drops as I'm drawing through my deck? Because with a deck like Tron, you really want to make sure you hit Tron on three. If not, you want Tron on four because you want to get at least the color source down in the first two turns so you can start countering spells. Tron, I, I for me, when I play Tron, I always prioritize my tap land, my ETB tap lands first. Like, you know, ETB tap, gain a life, like uh, Swiftwater Cliffs. I'll play that first and then I'll play a Tron land second so that way I can hold up potentially a counter spell or an impulse or something else that can interact with my opponent on turn two. Yep. And then with, uh, is it Blitz? I'm going through seeing like, okay, how do I want to start sequencing the chain of quote unquote storming off with this kind of thing? I know with you, John, you pra- I'm sure you practiced storm lines left, right, and center. Yeah. Well, another one way that I did extra reps when I was playing storm, and this is one that, you know, Playing it yourself is the best way to do so, but also if you can find videos of like better players than you playing the deck, that also can help you get into that mindset. So for me, when I was after I picked up Storm, I just watched videos of John Finkel playing Storm. That's a really good and person to watch. It is, yeah. I mean, best Magic player of all time. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to do better. A Storm um, Master, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, helping watch someone else go through those lines and get those mental reps in that way can also help a ton. Well, and also like watching, you know, better players can help you, you know, be more comfortable with like, okay, like it, it's kind of like what LSV will do a lot with his articles on what's the play. Like if you're watching it, if you're watching a replay or something like that, it doesn't necessarily have to be live. You know what your opponent has in their hand. You don't know what, like if you're watching like a stream replay, you'd be like, you could pause it. They draw step pause. Okay. What line would I take for this turn? How do you think I would go? What, how do you think my opponent would react? knowing what they're playing but all that and such and then you hit go and then see what happens and then if you want to really step through each of the actual individual decision points you can do that too and like almost play for like not play for them but watch as they play along and you know kind of get a guided tour of how exactly they're playing the deck yeah Um, exactly but but really like what john said the best way to do is just play if you have a buddy to to jam some proxied up decks do it if not just get grab on magic online if you have a deck that you really 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 want to play get that deck and play it absolutely another big factor for choosing a deck is how big the event is and also what's the usual level of competition that you you should be expecting here for example larger events like gps or ptqs or like pptqs or rptqs they tend to have more predictable metagames so if the metagame on magic online or wherever you're finding your data is like 30% of one deck, then 20% of another deck, then you should bring a deck that is expecting that metagame. Sure, you're going to see spikes here and there for someone who comes in playing, I'm playing Mono Green Elves, or who's someone who's coming in and playing, I'm playing Servo Tribal. You know, you have to, you can't necessarily rely too much on what are people playing as far as, um, like, trying to spike the tournament. Or you could be the person who wants to try to spike the tournament, where it's like, I'm going to play this deck that I've built together that I know the ins and outs of, and I think has a good matchup against the rest of the metagame, and be the person who make who takes their brew and really puts a mark on the format. 
The last time that really happened that I can recall is when Chris Patello took his deck to GP Portland, which was uh, Mardu oh Cat Pact. God. Oh, is it Grixis Cat Pact? It, I think it was, it was, it was, Grixis, it was Grixis, yeah, Cat Pact. Grixis, Grixis Cat Pact. I was there he that was weekend. Using, yeah. Where he's giving harmless offerings to give people uh, demonic packs and have them lose the game. And he oh, top yeah. eight it too. Yeah, that was like the deck of the week. And everyone's like, this deck is just cheeky and great. Like for me right now, like when I went to GP Phoenix a couple weeks ago, I was like, you know, I could just run out Grixis Death Shadow because I'm pretty good. To, I'm, you know, I'm comfortable with Grixis Death Shadow. I've gotten reps in with the deck. I've played it a bunch online. I'm not as comfortable and familiar with the deck as my Infect play, which I've, you know, the primary deck that I used to play in stand- or Modern. So I was like, eh, all right, sure, I'll bring it. Um, ended up playing against, where I, I did a deck tech about it, but two of my four opponents before I bombed out of the tournament said, yeah, I haven't played Infect in months. Like, if that's a deck that people like, yeah, I used to play against it and stuff like that back when it was the deck du jour. You're not like it, it's fallen out of it's almost like negligible representation in the meta. If you have a deck that used to be powerful, still can you know spike a tournament here and there. If you can get out of the early uh slog of the uh initial couple rounds, you might actually have a really good chance with a deck like Infect because people just aren't going to have the sideboard options, they don't devote two or three sideboard options like they used to, where we would have uh, what's it called. Uh, have to worry about spell skites coming in at every sideboard. Nobody runs spell skite anymore either. Like the, the, yeah. that card is gone, which is kind of great if you want to come in and you know take what used to be a former good deck and spike it. I mean, granted, Storm got some pretty good upgrades recently, but like people would still bring Storm to a tournament and can still storm out because people aren't going to you know have a plan for it. It's a deck that can win out of nowhere. Although to be fair, Storm is really good in modern right now, which scares me. Well, I meant like before Baral got printed and stuff. True, true, true. Uh, also, um, with the same thing of, as level of competition, uh, I went in. I went into the depths of Twitter and found this tweet from Rich Hagen uh, talking about uh, GP Madrid back in March, uh, where he was saying, if you're playing in GP Madrid and you had a non-pro team, a set of Legacy Miracles, Modern Grixis Control, and Blue White Approach would likely give you a less chance of winning than Legacy Charbelcher, Modern Boggles, and Standard Hollow One versus a pro team. Because if you are a worse player, if you know that your skill level at Magic is below your opponent's, then it probably behooves you to make as as few meaningful decisions as possible that still have a, a large impact on the game. Which is why you can see a lot of people, like a lot of less skilled players playing aggro decks or playing Infect or playing Burn because their decision trees are, are pretty much smaller than they would be if they were trying to play Jund or Grixis Control or whatever it may be uh, for for your you know control mid-range slate as opposed to playing just the aggro deck of get it down and crunch in. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of like almost ties back into those articles by Brad Nelson and Tom Ross were talking about because it, it ties it up really nicely with that where if you are going up against a bunch of people who will know your decision trees better than you, probably not a good idea to play that deck. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, and not trying to rag on or anything like that, Lindsay, she just doesn't like playing blue. Why? Because there's a lot of instance card draw, card selection in that, and she's more comfortable with playing decks that are kind of aggro to mid-range, where like, give me things that turn sideways. And, yeah, blue and tends nothing, to be a, it, no go for it and there's nothing wrong against like wanting to turn things sideways 
that's always a great sign of a good healthy format when there's an aggro deck that can do well against the format. It's when everything's locked down to mid-range and control that you get some really weird formats. Like when mono red wasn't a thing that existed, formats were kind of weird and uh, skewed heavily towards the really degenerate decks like, uh, what's it called? The Sahili combo deck. Oh God, that one. Or I was thinking even um, Aristocrats. Yeah. Like now I will say like where where like they have t- where a deck if a deck has time to set up its weird convoluted win con and it's not being punished by a prevalent of an aggro deck in a format. Yeah. Also, blue tends to be less favored by new players because of how many decisions they have to make. So that happens a lot. Back onto the size of the event, you know, smaller events, you can have your rogue decks perform better sometimes than they're supposed to. Like new perspectives combo and standard. Or in Soul Artifact Aggro from Pro Tour Origins, or Obzon Enchanters from the GP immediately after that Pro Tour, where you have a deck that, you know, nobody expected and then just ran through that field. And the big thing with uh, the Insole Artifact Aggro deck, which, if you, if you didn't know, Insole Artifact is a one in the blue enchantment aura that goes on artifacts that turns the artifact into a 5 5. It was, it was the loading ready run. Preview, preview card, card just because it had a giant pair of scissors on it yeah and that deck ran through the pro tour mike sigris probably should have won that pro tour if he didn't end up mulliganing to five in game in the deciding game three of his finals match and after that never showed up yeah did it was, not do anything after that yeah and the notes i put um kind of I don't really like, like necessarily use the term but there's really not one better for it but like an inbred tournament where like a pro tour for instance where you are looking at an incredibly small field and it's going to have a bunch of teams sharing resources and you know they're all looking to crack the format they're going to kind of come down to the consensus similar decks some teams will find a deck that will actually break it as in the case of Eldrazi winner like the colorless and the blue red Eldrazi lists that came out during pro tour oath of the gatewatch were just insane and they were Granted, we're able to take a small tournament completely by surprise, but they also had the sticking power to live past those events. The most other recent one that I could think of is during Pro Tour, Hour of, De- Hour of Devastation, where like the week before the Pro Tour, the Blue-White Godfarer's gift decks just got out there. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Zach yeah. Elsick, we talked about this before, where like Zach Elsick was like, I was taking this to the Pro Tour, expecting no one to know about it. And now everyone knows about it, and they're going to be packing way more hate than they probably could have – they were before. And now this deck is just a terrible decision to take. Yeah, like basically what happened, I guess – I think remember, remember what happened. Like some some people accidentally – I'll say this about Magic Online results and relying on tournament results. There might be decks out there that you don't know about that are actually just cleaning house because they'll go 4-0 drop to prevent them from being on the 5-0 deck release. I believe this was like a PTQ winning deck, not even like a 5-0 league deck. Well, yeah, no, people had kind of like one or two people had like it slipped through the cracks and it was like, oh, that's kind of cute and cheeky. And then the guy took it to a PTQ and it just smashed house and was like, oh, right. And the guy and Zach's like, no, <laughs> which they got to a really interesting argument about, you know, information, but that's neither here nor there. But you put also like PTQs are smaller and can have the same impact. A deck can like come out of nowhere. Like you could bring your rogue brew. Um. If what you're like, again, this comes down to, hey, do you expect to be able to beat any given field? You don't have to worry about the 1200 person field of a pro of a Grand Prix. You're only worrying about a 60 person tournament like for me right now uh, with Rags to Riches. Cap size for the event, 74 people. 
72, yeah. 74. It's around, it's mid seventies. So I know for a fact that I have to beat probably half the people, like expect to beat half the people in that room. Yep. Just once you get boiled it down, like, you know, winnowing out rounds and such like that. So do I want to bring a deck like my Tron deck that I've played a lot of basically since I got into Pauper, I've been jamming Tron so I could play Tron in my sleep. Granted right now, it's not the greatest in the metagame, but it's still prevalent. It's still putting up numbers, but it's not winning these popper challenges, which happen on a lot of weekends and basically show kind of like, what's the health? Like it's, it's how we basically have to gauge the popper metagame right now is the health of those tournaments. While, you know, uh, what's it called? Tron decks might be represented basically just a hair behind the blue, red Delver. Is it Delver decks in popper? They're still not putting up a huge amount of five O's as compared to Delver, like, Blue Red, Mono Blue Delver, Kadolta Boros, Stompy, even now Inside Out combo. Um, Boggles is still around and stuff like that. Affinity, like Affinity is a deck that's in every format that it will do well when people forget about it and forget to pack the proper sideboard hate for it. Yep. Um, that's why I'm looking at is it Blitz. Uh, decks that are casting Ponder right now are basically the best in the meta. Um, it sucks that that's the case, but being able to look, have the card selection off of a ponder, which again is a spell that would make a lot of newer players shy away from, you got to like, look at it. You look at the top, so ponder is blue sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library, then put them back in any order. You may shuffle your library and then you draw a card. So if you like what you see in those top three, you might want to keep all three of them. You might like one of the three and be like, well, do I goozle myself on two, two draw steps to get the one card that I really need? And that's where like a ponder decision tree, people who know how to play ponder and preordain especially as well to a lesser degree, which is a blue sorcery scry to then draw cards. You can actually, it's reverse of serum visions. So you actually get to look and see what's out there before you get to draw the card. That kind of deck where you can storm kind of storm off and everything like that. It does, it might be a better fit for a tournament like that, where you might want to just bash through the metagame as quickly as you can and get done. Also to think about with that kind of thing is, do you really want to like go to turns every time with a control yep. deck or do you want to have a little bit of break between your rounds? It's really like a, it's a subtle but underrated thing of being done around in 25, 30 minutes as opposed to grinding to like minute 45 every round. Yeah, exactly. 15 minutes adds up over the course of a tournament. Oh yeah. And you definitely want to make sure that if you have the chance to take mental breaks, so you're not thinking magic, you know, all day long or all weekend long, depending on the event. And got to eat and drink too. Also that. Uh, and then the last factor that is, I put it last on the list only because um, it's sad that this is one of the big issues that the game has kind of just over the course of its history. And it's uh, card availability. This isn't as huge of a problem in modern or standard uh, as it is for older formats like Legacy or even potentially Vintage. Because sometimes you're not going to have access to all the cards you need. Like in Legacy, there are cards that are worth literally more than car payments. Yeah. Like, and I mean, car payments, like you could go buy a used car for the price of some legacy decks now. Exactly. Just because of some cards spiking. For instance, lands. Well, Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale wasn't doing them any favors. No, it wasn't anyway. But now that deck alone, like a bog standard pulling up GP Seattle, the third place deck, right? Yeah. Piloted by, what was it? Sam Black? Sam Black. I think it was. Yeah, Sam Black's third place Lance deck. Right now, in paper, if you want to go buy it straight up, will cost you over six thousand dollars. 
one tabernacle alone is 3k four mox diamonds 1k of that so like there's 4k of your six thousand dollars tied up in five cards but that's just because reserve list we're not going to get into that however it is a consideration factor of hey would you borrow cards john yeah and thankfully i've I've developed the the network here locally where you know i've got friends who don't mind letting me borrow cards here and there you know like when i play new perspectives at the pptq out in uh, columbia tennessee i asked my friend Vinny, and Vinny literally just gave me the deck because he had he happened to have all the pieces available to him and i was able to take it and play in the event and leave and that's an extreme example but like even when i was playing uh, mono red and playing building it for like a pptq I was able to go to Vinny and be like, hey, I need three Earthshaker Kenras, I need two Rampaging Frostodons, and blah, 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 blah. And we were, he was able to let me borrow those and then be able to be like, okay, here are the back and develop that kind of trust network where it's fine to be able to – where you, everyone is fine with being like, hey, I need another Chandra. Do you have one? Or, hey, do you have any extra you know, Teferis lying around? You know, Being able to have that local support group that helps everyone else play the decks they want to play is – is cool, and if you can develop that in your local area with your friends, you should totally try to do so. And unfortunately for me, uh, I have never really delved into local scenes too much in terms of getting in good with the local players, mainly because, I mean, I have a bunch of friends in Seattle to play. Yeah, obviously. But will I borrow cards from them for a tournament? Probably not, because my tournaments are going to be elsewhere, and it's going to be kind of crazy and hinky. And honestly, I've just never felt comfortable asking friends, hey, can I borrow this much money from you <laughs> which is kind of what it is yeah just it's essentially bit. yeah it's just boiling down to like hey can i borrow x dollars that are tied up into a physical object from you for a weekend and i will give it back to you at x date um online so one of the things i put here is like will you and should you run op- suboptimal cards if you can acquire the best deck or i mean like we're talking about like the the uh, best deck for the formats like you might not even have the best build of your deck because you might not be able to get access to a certain cyborg card or it's something oh you're going to a tournament and oh i wanted to make these last minute changes to my cyborg but none of the vendors at the the tournament hall or at your local game store have that card in stock so i have to go with you know my like tier two option instead of will be a tier one cyborg choice kind of thing like Mm -hmm. me I mean, I just granted, yeah, I just realized I sold back three Chalice of the Voids recently in some decks. I'm looking I'm like, oh, it required it. They have three Chalice of the Void in their sideboard. Ugh. Well, I could find friends who have chalices and borrow them, or I could just go with a different option. For me, like instance on, on Magic Online, I have a bunch of Grixis decks. Do I have a Lily on the Veil Online? Heck to the no. Why? Mm, it's never never acquired it online. But I'm not going to go and spend $50 for a cyborg card that might be one or two of eventually in a deck that I'm going to play that I might not ever play that deck outside of one or two little online events. So I will go with the cheaper online options. Like I don't have, uh, what's it called? Surgical extractions online. Surgical extractions are ridiculous online right now. But yep. like compared to paper, where paper they're like 15, 20 bucks, we're online, they're like 40. I might have them in paper, but I might not be running the same cyborg online. So my testing gets skewed. But that's only because of cyborg cards where I know like, okay, if I had this card, okay, I would have cyborged this card in this option. Oh, I draw I drew the card that I cyborged in, but it would have been this in this situation. So I do look at that sometimes when I'm playing it. But yeah, I'll definitely play more optimal cards. Like right now, I have most of blue-white turns built online. I don't have the Jaces. Yeah. I'd have to borrow them from a friend to finish them. Would that be hard to do? No. I'm pretty sure I know people who I could probably be like, hey, it's me and use my you know, cachet of 
oh, people know who I am or like my friend group would be like, oh, yeah, trust him or be like, I don't have it, but I know a friend who I like I can vouch for you kind of thing like that. Like John was saying, he's built it locally. Like I have it online for that kind of yeah. support group. So where John has the, the the physical local support, I can basically be like, hey, I want to borrow this card for an online stream, I guess. However, what's kind of great about that is if work ever, you know, my, my schedule ever allows me to get a regular stream schedule going, there are things like card hoarder team, stream team and stuff like that that can allow for that to kind of happen. Where if that is a decision you want to make where, hey, you want to test a bunch of decks and stuff like that, you can do so if you stream and, you know, you have certain viewer requirements and meet that. Hey, all, all the more power to you. And I know for a fact, friends of mine who have achieved that level have realized, wow, it's just opened up a whole new bevy of options where I can just go have like, hey, like stream viewers request a deck and I'll stumble my way through learning how to do it rather than when you, all you got to do is just borrow the cards from an online source as opposed to actually having to go and buying a $300 deck online. There are also uh, things out there. I don't remember some of the names of them, but there are deck rental sources. Be wary of these, though. Yeah, they've kind of gotten into some disrepute of late. Yeah, they've gotten a little hinky lately, but some of those things still exist out there. Um, I don't know any of the names off the top of my head, but the deck renter deck rentals do exist. Um, I know the only time I've actually physically ever borrowed a card in person is when I took my canadian highlander deck up to yellow jacket and i wanted to test with a uh glory bringer and a palace jailer in mm. my jeskai deck now i'll tell you this when you talk about a local metagame that is one hell of a local metagame for canadian highlander in victoria canada <laughs> mm. you 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 take your canadian highlander deck anywhere else you might have a fun time but you take it to there you better be ready to beat like people who live, eat, sleep, dream, breathe Canadian Highlander and have yeah. the kind of like know and play and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's a very different atmosphere. But I wanted to kind of touch a little on that kind of thing because Palace Jailer, you get that anywhere else. Palace Jailer is like what? It's maybe a dollar. Maybe. Could be more. It's played in Legacy. Yeah, it's gone up a little bit. Uh, Palace Jailer, here it is. Uh, 46 cent card in paper, right? <laughs> It's yep. Palace Jailer is a two white white two two human soldier. When it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. When it enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until an opponent becomes the monarch. That card is goofy good in that format. You can't find that thing for less than ten dollars in in Victoria. Like a card that I can get in America for fifty cents is like ridiculously expensive because nobody has it in stock. And if you do get one in stock, the you know. The local market scoot on that kind of thing because of card availability. Yep. So it's one thing to really keep in mind. I know, John, have you ever had any situations where you've run across where you felt like you've had to actually run a suboptimal kind of card in your deck just because you don't have that card? There have been a few times, especially like before you get like a modern deck put together where you're like, man, I am missing, you know, a fetch land or I'm missing a, or a land or it's like, man, I could really use Chalice of the Void, but I just don't have them. Yeah. You got to be like, yeah, I need to figure out like what's the best option here for that. Um, recently, when I'm building like my storm sideboard, you know, Shattering Spree is a ex- surprisingly expensive card. Thankfully, <laughs> I have I managed to find a copy, but and I don't need two for a while. But uh, that is one card that that recently caused me to be like, mm, that's pricey. 
Yeah, like it used to be like a five dollar. It's an uncommon. So Shattering Spree from Guild Pact. It's an uncommon for red sorcery with replicate red. So re- replicate is when you play the spell copy it for each time you paid its replicate cost. You may choose new targets for the copies. Destroy target artifact. So you can pay one red, destroy one artifact, or you can pay multiple reds and destroy multiple target artifacts. It's it was kind of like a cycle, I think. Uh yeah, there was another one that's uh, Giga Drowse. Giga Drowse is, is the big one, which is the blue one where it's a tap tap or a permanent. Yeah, and that that's a one that turns plays usually because they'd be like, oh, I'll tap down your lands on turn three, and then set up for me going just going off with land or turns. But yeah, just finding the ability availability of cards either by price or you just don't have it in your collection and you want to take it to an event and the event people don't have it on site so you can't really purchase it. Or if you don't want to purchase it just because you're testing a sideboard option out, you know, why would you go spend like $50 on a sideboard card that you might just end up cutting? Exactly. That's And again, that's something that can tie into your testing. If you're able to goldfish or practice with a friend um, in paper with proxied versions, you can actually kind of like test that sideboard option out in a controlled environment where you don't have to worry about spending the extra money on it. Yeah. So I think that kind of sums up our thoughts on deck selection uh, for some bigger events. Yeah. And again, well, let's, let's kind of give a little recap. So like, remember, just look for your local metagame or what the metagame of the event might be um, if it's a larger event. So, you know, just look at big tournament events or tournament results and online results and stuff like that. MTG Top 8 is another great resource because they pull stuff from overseas as well that other sites like MTG Goldfish what might not pull from. Your comfort level. Are you familiar with the deck? Is it a deck that you can pick up and play with it easily, or do you need to run a lot of things? Also, how are you going to get comfortable with it? You can test it with a friend, goldfish it a bunch, or whatever. Size of the event obviously is going to help in terms of informing. Hey, do I need? To, can I take this little weird rogue brew that I had to my store championship? But it it'll, it might clean up my store championship meta, but just absolutely get trounced at a GP. And again, your card availability. Can you even actually? you know, reasonably purchase and acquire the cards for the deck that you want. So, yeah, like, for example, uh, a popular card in uh, standard right now is Walking Ballista. Uh, and I just checked its price on Magic Online because I was curious. And it's a $30 card there. Yeah, it's a it's a card. <laughs> it's a very good card, but <laughs> a little surprising, to say the least. Oh, yeah. 15 bucks online for that. So, but yeah, with that said. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Ian, if people wanted to find you all on social media, where can they do so? You guys can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. You guys can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. That's D-I-X. Um, my stream tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, um, I'm going to be trying to shoot for one, one to two streams a week, maybe like an hour or so. Um, I used to do a, like more like three hours a night and be like, oh, yeah, big stream. But I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to just like ease myself slowly back into more of like one, two streams, two streams a week for like an hour or so. Small stream. I need to practice for a GP Vegas because I've decided probably not going to play modern. I'm probably going to go for the, oh, we should have mentioned this earlier, but they unveiled the beta booster draft um, qualifier information where basically there's like eight different 256 person capped uh dominaria sealed events going on mm-hmm. so we're playing some sealed and there's a pauper championship and they unveiled that which is kind of cool it's like five to six rounds with a cut to top eight for that so i'm looking forward to those things so i'm probably not going to play modern because and now i gotta inform my deck choice of 
which decks am I going to take to that pauper tournament and such. So, but yeah, look for yeah. me streaming with that stuff. John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That's jwiley129. I'm also on Twitch at the same handle. So if you see me in a chat room, don't hesitate to say hi. I've also, again, been putting a bunch of videos on YouTube uh, under the uh, channel Well of John, and you can find all of those there. And, uh, yeah, I think that kind of does it for me. Uh, we just did a big magic meeting yesterday where we did a did a pick order for Dominaria. We're going to kind of keep that in house for a little bit, as well as talking about re- the RPTQ, because that is coming up faster than we want it to be. Yeah, get 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 uh, get cracking on that deck selection, buddy. Need you on the oh, tour. <laughs> we uh, we are. We're not. We're leaving no stone unturned. Good. In any case, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs>